Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers where we have all the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. I have a timely conversation for you this episode, an interview with Wolf Terry, a contributing writer for Yoga Journal. Wolf has become a polarizing figure in the yoga and wellness world, especially these past two weeks after the release of her article in Yoga Journal titled, Getting Vaxxed Was My Act of Ahimsa. Just in case the title of that article seems like that one more thing about the pandemic you can't deal with right now, I encourage you to hang in. This conversation can save you a lot of time and bring you up to speed on why it's never been more important to be a discerning consumer. The show notes for this episode are extensive. Links are included to every reference and source of information mentioned, whether it be articles, social media posts, other podcasts, and documentaries. If you are new to the show, welcome. This is episode 89. I hope you dig into the back catalog of 88 prior conversations. If you're a repeat listener, I'm glad you're along for the journey. For leaders, this is it. Now is the time to use your voice. If you're looking for a place to practice, gain confidence, and connect with other leaders doing the same, do check out our leadership community. A special shout out to Free Your Inner Guru patrons who support the podcast on Patreon and share it with others. You make this podcast possible, and for that, I am very grateful. If this is the type of content you would like to see and hear more of, please support the show on Patreon and tell the others. I give you a conversation with Wolf Terry. The yoga and wellness worlds are sick. First of all, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm so excited to have you here. And for everyone who's listening, Wolf Terry is a contributing writer for Yoga Journal, a retired, experienced, registered yoga teacher, and a writing coach and mentor. In 2018, Wolf lost her younger brother and her best friend to suicide, mere months after her child was born. Since then, she has been an advocate for mental health, as well as an outspoken activist on crucial social justice issues. She left teaching yoga at the beginning of the pandemic after years of working at every level of the $88 billion industry in order to become a full-time writer. Her writing mentorship program fuses yoga and meditation with expert organizational and editorial skills to help her clients organize, outline, write, and pitch their books. She's in the middle of pitching her first book, a memoir, and writing her second book, the first of a fantasy series. She recently came under fire in the yoga and wellness community for her yoga journal article, Getting Vaxxed Was My Act of Ahimsa. Originally from Backwoods of Maine, she now lives in Denver, Colorado with her husband and son. So once again, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. This is, uh, this is a real treat and a real honor to be speaking to Thank you. So there's so much there. And I feel like if we don't address it right away, there's a giant elephant in the room, perhaps for some people who will be attracted to this episode because of this article that has, in my own words, I just posted on Instagram that I was getting ready to interview perhaps the most controversial person on the internet right now in wellness and yoga. I think the amount of controversy is, it's on one hand is disappointing and on the other hand, it's necessary. And so let's talk about this article. 
you're a writer with Yoga Journal. You mm-hmm. have an advice column. And had, my had, I actually ended my advice column. And now I'm an essayist. Letter thoughts. A bit overwhelming. <laughs> but yeah. So <laughs> I went to their website and I got on your author page and I read a few of your articles in the past. And this Getting Vaxxed article is not your first deep dive into speaking your truth and, and sharing research and opinion on issues surrounding the yoga community. But this is by far the one that's most pertinent to the world in general. So I'd love to give you an opportunity to share how the article came to be. And perhaps as a writer and as a a writing coach, how you positioned it and why you chose to position it the way you did. And then we'll get into how it was received. Yeah, this article has been, um, the essay itself was a long process. It actually began back at the beginning of the pandemic when yoga studios weren't even entertaining the idea of closing down until they were mandated until it was like a thing like you must shut down and I immediately texted my editor and I was like I have to write a piece on Ahimsa and how this is a virus and this is very serious and what pandemics are like because I had already had conversations with people in my life as if you've read the article you will know so many conversations revolving around the pandemic, especially within that first week. So my editor was like, there's just too much coming in. Love the idea of writing about Ahimsa at this time, but let's just hit pause on this. And I said, okay. And then it was the masking and people being anti-maskers and saying, how about now? Because this is us saying, hey, even if We don't actually need to wear a mask, even if it turns out that they're like, oh, the masks don't work. It's still a sign of solidarity and solidarity. It's still a sign of like actively I'm doing everything I can to ensure that I don't harm others. And again, the response was so much coming out on that. People need a distraction from the pandemic. We don't want to focus on that right now. So I said, fine, because at that point they were developing the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that had just been announced. So I committed myself to researching as much as I possibly could about the history of vaccination, the history of vaccines, and also just the history of pandemics, like the plague, like smallpox, like all of that stuff was in my research. And then looking at the anti-vax movement from a lens of, huh, there are all of these communities that intersect with one another that have opposing beliefs, yet they all share this main one. And why is that? And why can't we get around that? And also, what is ahimsa? What is non-harm? What does it truly mean? And why would someone not want to partake in non-harm in Ahimsa? Why would someone actively say no when they have spent their entire life upholding these values and preaching values? So just looking at it from that lens and then taking it personally into my own personal life and saying, this is what I know from each of these topics that we're discussing, and this is how they relate to one another. And 
this is why for me, I am choosing to follow public health guidelines. I have chosen to get vaccinated. I'm socially distancing still because my child can't vaccinate yet. So just all of those things, not as like everybody should be getting vaccinated immediately right now, but ultimately the reason why we need to talk about this right now is because it's part of our yogic values, which Ahimsa is um, one of the yamas of the eight limbs of yoga. I practice yoga, but I've never studied yoga. And, and in fact, before I was telling you, before we came on here, I went on to the leadership community that runs attached to this podcast. And I made a note in the coming soon topic area saying later today, this is who I'm interviewing Wolf Terry. Here's the article. And I, I tagged in one of our members, Lindsay, who's a yoga therapist. And she um, wrote a whole explanation of the yamas for me. Yamas being how you interact with others, niyama, how you interact with yourself, and ahimsa. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because uh, yeah. this is like ethics and foundational stuff. Okay. So this is yoga ethics. Most of what society sees as yoga is someone in downward facing dog or sitting in sukhasana, crisscross applesauce in a prayer position. Like, yes, that is one limb of the eight limbs of yoga, that is yoga asana, which is the physical practice of yoga. The physical practice of yoga asana is meant to warm up the body for long seated meditation. And the yamas, the niyamas, ahimsa, these are all, it's somewhat like the 10 commandments of yoga. I, I don't, for, for people like to just make that correlation without me deep diving and giving half an hour long explanation of each and every single limb, but that's a, a really good thing for people to compare to, to relate to. It's really mainly how you interact with yourself, how you interact with the world around you. Sadhyaya, self-study, which is one of the, one of the ethical principles. It just taking note of your surroundings and always trying to live up to these ethics and to these morals in the best way that you can it's not like a disciplinary thing it's more of a hey like care about others care about what's going on inside of yourself and don't hurt people but that's that's to simplify it really simple and that's where that mindfulness kicks in the idea of mindfulness sarana of meditation that a lot of yoga teachers like to speak on and talk about that's a very crucial part of your yoga practice off of the mat, as well as on, because we practice mindfulness through our breath. But taking that off of the mat into the world is where you do the true yoga. And that's where the eight limbs of yoga, the yamas, the niyamas, ahimsa are played out. I guess it's fair to say, and I'm maybe just you know, being a bit mischievous here with this, but I guess it's fair to say that you had some sense just based on how foundational this is that putting this message and taking a side in the, I'm air quoting for people who don't see the video, in the freedom of choice about the vaccine, that this would be a little bit of a fire starter. 
I am a very polarizing individual. This is something that I grew up being, that I understand about myself. And I am the type of person who will talk about the stuff that everybody else will shove underneath the rug. When I write, I do not write fluff. I'm not going to write a 10 best yoga poses because that's, first of all, not a thing. And secondly, it just doesn't apply to the world that we live in today. It's not going to help. It's not going to make any sort of impact or change. So when I wrote this article, I knew that it was, for lack of a better term, cause shit to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. I full well knew it. It's not that I was trying to instigate. It's that I was looking around me and seeing that nobody else was saying it, even though plenty of people with larger platforms with who could spread their voice further, big time writers, big time yogis could have said it after they get the vaccine or post a selfie of themselves saying it, but they don't because they don't want, they either one, don't want the backlash or two, they don't think it's their place to say it. So. If no one else is going to say it, no one else is going to step forward and state the obvious, then I'm willing to do that, not because I'm brave, not because of anything else, but because people are dying, because mm -hmm. there's things that are happening in our world that are awful and terrible, and it's our own fault. And we need to take responsibility for all of these social justice issues, and we need to take responsibility for the fact that we've been in this pandemic for nearly two years now, and really talk about what we can do to make everyone's lives better and just stop losing people. So yeah. that's why I wrote it. That's why I did it. For me, it was very much love-centered and my core beliefs are that even if I don't know somebody, I don't wish them pain. I do not wish death upon them. Even if I don't agree with them, it's just, it's pointless to wish harm upon people who don't agree with you. I'd rather you just live and be able to talk about this like we're talking about it yeah. right now. To learn just how to have a nuanced yeah. conversation or learn how to disagree constructively. All the things that it's so glaringly obviously needed in our yeah. society. Before, before we got on, and I don't know if the regular listeners know that I do this often with guests that come on, but recently I wrote an origin story for the podcast because I never know how much of my own backstory to include if it's, and it's not the free your inner guru isn't about what went down in my life, but it sprang out of it. And, and so I often send it to guests when I think that my own experience can either provide context, insight, or just heighten the conversation or add more value to the conversation. And one of the reasons that I, like I jumped, as soon as I read that, I got right on Instagram, I jumped to invite you on the podcast because you, in the research that even though it's a first person essay, but you've included a lot of research in it because of the people you know in your life who are either epidemiologists and so forth. The section that you included about the mRNA vaccines mm -hmm. jumped out to me because in the early 90s, I was actually doing a science degree in psychology at the University of Toronto. And I went down this stream for, what, the, what was I doing? I'm trying to remember. 
But I went down a stream of studying abnormal psychology, but the best profs were in statistics and also in the labs. And there were these two profs in the labs. I really liked them. And, and so I went down, I was reading textbooks called Psychoneuropharmacology and performing, this is the 90s, everyone just hang on to your hats, performing experiments on live animals. It was just talked about that, you know, you're studying what a virus is and studying how things act in the body. And it was known at that time that I think I took for granted at the outset of the pandemic because I graduated in 90. So they were already talking about it in the late 80s about DNA, RNA, and messenger RNA. And one day they're starting to think that one day they're going to be, instead of traditional vaccines, that they're going to be able to deliver the coding. I remember this, the code for the virus into the cells. And it sounded like the most sci-fi stuff imaginable and but when we come to 2021 and the vaccines were developed so quickly using this new technology we're both making arm gestures and air quotes because this is a large part of the argument because it, it wasn't quick it was 35 years in the process yeah and and you are living proof of that like you you witnessed the beginning conversation around that, which is absolutely remarkable. What I would give to be in that room. Was it really cool hearing that? Were you freaked out? Well, there was a, yeah, I was freaked out. I think that's why the comparison to the sci-fi, it just seemed too far out there at the time. And you look at everything that has advanced in the last 35 years, then this is completely congruent with taking giant building-sized computers and and putting them into your watch or just about anything that isn't. This is what technology is. This is what technology and evolution and advancement is. This is what happens. This is why we no longer sit around an open fire merely for warmth and to cook food, but we do it for pleasure. Now, like people used to have to do that because that was the only way to get warm. Now we like have heating systems. We have things like plumbing. We have AC. This is a technological advancement. And if you have a smartphone, I have news for you. You're probably contributing to more harm in the world than you think because smartphones as we know just it's the labor that is used to build them all of the resources and everything is possible but we still we have them and they have made our lives easier they have connected the world and they've made us a little bit more culturally conscious in a lot of ways so it's just this idea where we get freaked out about these things at first because it seems sci-fi and then you mm-hmm. realize, wait, this could be real. Like I'm a big, so our house and my son is three and we're really big into the Marvel universe. And I particularly love Iron Man because of not only his character arc, but because the nanotechnology that he introduces in the second to last 
Avengers movie, Infinity War, it's like this nanotech where it's just, it just, oh, it exists in my watch, in my chest, in my wherever, and a whole suit can unfold from it and all this stuff. And this also was in Black Panther as well, where it's like in his right. necklace and everything. And I'm like, that could never happen. And then I, I took some time. This was a couple of weeks ago. And I like really started thinking about it while I'm watching this movie with my kid. He's like, got his whole hands on and punching things. And I'm like, this will probably happen in my lifetime. That, what I am seeing there, that looks like sci-fi, will probably happen in my lifetime. And I'm going to think that it's really cool. Like, I'm not going to be freaked out about it because I'm already seeing all the things that are happening that have just made the world a better place in many ways. This is so not what I thought we'd be talking about just now. Me but either, wanted, but we I are. Know we are. But, and we'll just go with it. I think it points to there's good and bad in everything. And or there's inherent challenges in everything. And perhaps, and that has a lot to do, I think, with the culture of suspicion that the vaccines have, have launched into. And some of that suspicion is valid. The use of that suspicion, however, to guide and manipulate people that a lot of people don't realize is happening mm -hmm. and what at the beginning of the pandemic i was in a, a bit of a weird space i don't know if i think everyone will be able to identify with being in a weird space yeah i'm like the pandemic. yeah that, that it, just, it was all of us <laughs> Yeah, I had a couple of, and everyone had their extras. So I know I'm not a snowflake, but I, I'm bringing this up for a reason. So my extras were an eye infection that started late March, early April after I got back to Toronto from Hawaii. And, and then in July, when things were still seriously locked down and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, we were seriously locked down the better part of a year and a half. Like we had a respite last summer and then we we're back into lockdown in November. We just were out in stages now. So anyone listening from outside of Ontario, I challenge you to find a more locked down place in North America. So there's that. And last July 1st, I had the distinct, I don't want to be sarcastic. It wasn't pleasurable at all. I got to relive my own personal journey through the Wondery Guru podcast that I was in. And that's the story of what happened in 2009 when I was very much a self-help consumer and it was very early in my coaching days. And I'll bottom line the story for everyone. It's horrific and horrendous. And there's a movie documentary about it out there and there's the called Enlighten Us and there's the Wondery Guru podcast. But what happened was at the end of a wellness, spiritual self-help retreat, a whole bunch of us went into it, a quote unquote sweat lodge as a ceremony to close out the retreat. And every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong. And there was an absolute crisis in leadership. And three of my, the participants in the workshop, including the woman who was beside me, they died. And so that came out in the middle of the pandemic last summer. And I heard myself telling the story in the, the Wondery podcast. And some of my frustration of that experience led me to start writing a memoir, which is a fun synchronicity that you're guiding people in writing memoirs. So you'll get the process. I started writing the memoir and 
one thing led to another. I got out my big box of journals. I started reading and I went into the years 2007 and then 2008 and 2009 leading up to the sweat lodge. And I thought I was going to read some thoughtful reflection. I even thought the memoir might be already written for me because of what would be in there. And I did not get what I was looking for. It was opening up a literal Pandora's box and seeing that while there are some concepts that I, that I use, that I believe in, that I, that I practice today, a lot of it was gibberish. <laughs> and it was around then that I got a clue 12 years later that despite all of my protestations, that there had, there were signs of indoctrination. Yeah. And indoctrination, indoctrination, once you're out of it, you can pick it up very easily. This is what we had talked about, discussed before we started recording, but you can pick it up very easily from other places. Like you can tell, oh, that's, I'm not going to touch that. That's cult-like behavior and dynamic right there. I'm not going to walk towards that because I already know what's there. But it's really hard for us to look back and really relate to the person that we were when we were in it because brainwashing essentially and it's manipulation it's all of these things that really just take you away from yourself which this is what your podcast is about from your own not just intuition but knowing and knowledge and common sense and conception and perception and all, all of those things and says do not trust this trust this out here do not trust what is inside mm -hmm. do not and and all the people who are saying oh i'm choosing to do this because this is helping people or i'm i live my life this way they're wrong and they're the ones that are going to be you know sent to hell or they're the ones that are gonna die and they're part of the human experience and that so don't pay attention to them don't let them try to brainwash you listen to us listen to over here it's just like a magic trick that they're trying to do over here with this hand when really what's going on that they don't want you to look at is just going to take away from whatever it is they're profiting or benefiting off of from your followership, from all of that. It's a really hard thing to escape and especially talk about. And I think that based on the comment section of the yoga journal teaser post that they posted on my article, we can we could see a lot of that resonating within the opposing um, viewpoint of the accounts and the people commenting are you cool with and because one of the things that i be i've been paying attention to all of this from the get-go because as even before i woke up to my own indoctrination it doesn't mean that i hadn't been able to see some the toxic right. behavior and 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 what all went on so that wasn't quite it so i was watching everything right from the beginning because the what happened in our community so around James Arthur Ray's community, 
after the sweat lodge, what happened was the community polarized and you were either for James or against James. And that left very little because it wasn't just the people who were there at that retreat. It was hundreds and hundreds and arguably thousands because there was a certain level of fame there at the time, but it was for and against. For me, I was in the position of knowing that like I was, I was, I fell through the middle. I couldn't find company comfort or community on either side because A, I was there and B, I knew that I would be involved as a witness in the criminal trial. And, and I'm sharing this because what I saw during the pandemic, and it had been happening all along in society between the, around President Trump and QAnon and all of this. So I was already tuned to be able to see it and already very managing being triggered all the time by the narcissist in chief. But the, uh, yeah, see, even talking does it, right? It's just, boom, there's that sort of trauma You disassociate response. a little yeah. bit. You disassociate yeah, totally. a little bit. And, and I think a lot of people looking at the comment section who, like you felt that they fell through the middle, like this isn't the yoga world that I'm familiar. What is happening here? Why can't we all respect each other's views? Here's the thing. Here is why I am staunchly in opposition of anyone in that conversation, anyone in the comment section who said that I was being paid off by Big Pharma, that Yoga Journal was, again, trying to brainwash us and indoctrinate us, and there was always an agenda. Um, it's because that behavior is harmful. That language is harmful. It's harmful in our communities. Right now, especially, it is harmful, especially because the point of focus is a vaccine that is saving lives. And the fact that we allow misinformation, disinformation to exist and that it has existed for so long in this community is saying something about what this community is doing, which is just allowing you to choose your own adventure and follow whoever it is that echoes views that make you feel validated. There's a difference between sovereignty and agency and doing whatever the fuck you want without consequences. When you choose not to get the vaccine, you are making a very solid choice. You are saying that this is what I see as wellness for me. Okay then wear a mask, don't go out in public, stay home. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm starting to accumulate is a number of tools and signs that this shit is happening. And one of them is people crossing lanes, right? Like I'm not in a yoga lane, so I'm not going to be a, it, it, not going to be an expert and have no intention. I'll practice it as much as I can, but I'm, I have no intention of becoming a yoga expert. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I will de defer and refer to epidemiologists when I need to understand the actions of vaccines and bacteria in our body and in the world at large and in our ecosystem. And so one thing I do see, though, that self-help, which is my lane, for better or worse, I have had an on and off history 
with being in the self-help industry myself and being out. And I am pretty much all the way out at this point, thanks to the last year, which we're going to circle around to. I think that's something we need to explore together. We have a lot in common there. But given self-help and spirituality somehow became my lane, one of the things that I see here is that crosses into yoga and crosses into wellness because everybody's in all the lanes. And this is the ultimate spiritual bypass. Oh, and, and that's a term I didn't know 10 years yeah. ago. Correct. I, I hope I can define it um, well enough. But spiritual bypass is the equivalent of saying it's their journey or they're responsible for what they've created or it will happen in the fifth dimension. You know, this is also third dimension. Anyone um, who's not watching this, I just mouthed, I just mouthed what the fuck about the fifth dimension thing because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to park that one because it's not my lane. I, I should get someone whose lane it is to explain spiritual, it to me. Spiritual bypassing, it's very prominent in the yoga world. And I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but I have experienced it firsthand. I have, at the very beginning of studying the path of yoga, I partook in it. it and it it's very much this idea that I can do whatever I want it's my journey you do yours it's all good it's all fine you do you and like I'm just allowing spirit to speak through me all of that like that is spiritual bypassing at the highest when it's in concern with actual issues that we need to confront and talk about actual health related <laughs> things that are harming people, things that, you know, are harmful to ourselves that we really need to say, okay, are you spiritually bypassing because this is a hard topic for you? Or are you bypassing because you, or are you not bypassing at all? And you just, for whatever reason, see what's happening you understand what's happening and you just don't want to comply. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole other level where there are people yeah. who are like, this is my truth. And then there are people who are like, I'm never going to get it done. I'm never going to get vaccinated done. It doesn't align with my values. It doesn't whatever spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. because they don't want to look at the hard. They also don't want to most of the time wear masks, socially distance, abide by public health guidelines, stay home. They just well, don't want to acknowledge that bypass, they have a role. It's life. a bypass of the pandemic, right? The pandemic is proving to be almost not bypassable. And I say almost because I think that if you're not being if you're not being directly affected, and there are people out there who haven't been directly affected, like they they haven't lost their businesses, no one's lost that they know has lost their job, nobody's lost their health, their income is not disrupted. I know I'm sounding heavy on the money side right now, but nobody they know got COVID. Maybe they didn't like to go out all that much in the beginning. There are people who the pandemic has quite suited from a socioeconomic very personal point of view. I know I have some friends who have been relatively undisrupted 
over here. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, my husband lost a job. My business evaporated. My eye infection hadn't percolated to the top, you know, on the list yet of symptoms, but it's even possible that it was long COVID. And I'll never know because by the time anyone would ever mention doing some antibody testing, it was well past the point. And like the pervasiveness of it, it's almost like the, for every practitioner out there who has been saying we are all one for the last 30 to 50 years, this is it. This to is me, the moment. It the moment. was the moment, right? It was the moment. It still could be the moment. And yeah, by and large, and this is why I, I pulled the pin and in state on staying. There's other reasons, but this is by and large why I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I, I think I'm done. This is just getting stupid. Yeah. It, I, in terms of that, now that we're segueing into that conversation, that's what happened with me in the yoga industry. I no longer teach yoga and I will never teach a yoga class again. I will never be involved in a studio situation again. I will not do retreats. I will not do yoga festivals. I will not do it because I was not put on this earth to play that game in that industry, which is very much a space and very much an industry and no longer considered a practice or a path to follow here in the westernized world so yeah that's why i'm i'm i walked away for it for a multitude of reasons for being treated like the product that i was providing which was my wisdom as a yoga teacher and my training and everything that i did over the years was not being appreciated and what we that when COVID first hit our world and when we started going into lockdown, the specific studio that I worked for was saying that they weren't going to budge on closing their studio until that they had to. They were made to, they were mandated to, and then kept trying to push the studio to come back way too soon. And then finally said, okay, yeah, you're going to, we're all coming back. But if you don't take whatever class we give you, then that's too bad. And also, like, you're either coming back or you're out forever. And we're not going to do virtual, like, from your home anymore. We're not going to do Zoom classes from your home anymore. If you want to teach, you have to teach in the studio with a bunch of people. And at first, they weren't even requiring that. And I said, absolutely not. I helped build the studio and the franchise that I had worked for for a long time helped build it and helped build the community. And I stepped away because I had finally gotten to a point and reached a point where I understood that as someone who has been writing consistently for a long period of time that I needed to focus primarily on, on writing. And I needed to not be absorbed in this culture that was truly harmful and causing harm. And there are people at the studio that I worked with that a majority of them who stayed there all got COVID. Just all, all of these different situations 
happened. That's one of the main reasons why I walked away and I chose to simply write about yoga. And that would be how I taught. Simply write. <laughs> simply right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Simply right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sim- sorry. I mistook the word. I mistook the word cause a shitstorm for simply in the yoga community <laughs> for simply. Again, we did it again. Go- going back to what you were describing there, I grabbed for a, a pen because it sounds to me as, as somebody now, I've been a franchisee. And mm. I've been a consultant. I've consulted to multi-million dollar franchises. I've consulted to small business. I've run small businesses. And every single thing that you described there in terms of that decision to not run classes either from Zoom or on Zoom is not, does not seem to me to be a um, business decision or a decision based on what could be lucrative or possible to create. And I say this watching my yoga studio down the street behave completely the opposite of what you've described. Mm. Let me clarify. They were still doing Zoom. Let me clarify. They were still doing Zoom classes from the studio. But if you couldn't, like I couldn't go in because I didn't have childcare. And when I explained that, can I still teach from my home? The hard answer was absolutely not. Absolutely not. You cannot teach from your home, which was like, okay, but there's still this mass amount of people that want to only practice from their home. So then it would be two or three people in the studio and 50 people online. So that is where it was. It wasn't that they weren't doing Zoom classes at all. They were, but they were requiring all of their teachers to come in. Right unvaccinated because it was before the vaccine and risk their wellness and their health and their family's wellness and health for to meet their bottom line so that they could sell all of the leggings and the merchandise in their stock Mm. i was gonna say and i it may still apply that it seemed like a decision based on dogma versus profit but it may be both it may be both it was mostly profit. Yeah. I'm just going to put it out there because I know exactly what the situation was. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much entirely based off of profit. So they were putting wealth over wellness. I think if you trace a lot of this back, that is actually one of the, the best yardsticks is to trace it back and look at what's coming first. Is mm-hmm. it people or is it profit? Mm-hmm. And it's you know, profit every time. The last episode just before this one, there's actually an in-depth discussion of late stage capitalism and, and the patriarchy and profit over people. So if people are interested in going back, it's, it's a good one with Shulamit uh, Burleftov. Mm-hmm. It is very good, but it is very much along those lines. And when you get to a point where it's like what I am teaching and what I am preaching does not align with the place where I am teaching it in. And also I'm exhausted and also half of my students are part of the pastel queue and the sovereign mob. And I don't want to be associated with that when I was like, mm, yeah, I'm done. Bye. How do you feel like about explaining in case someone doesn't understand the reference to pastel queue? Oh, yeah. So pastel queue is sort of a term coined by Matthew Remke and his cohorts and co-hosts on cons- spirituality podcast, which my article and a discussion about 
all of this situation was just recently discussed along with Annie Kelly, who is a brilliant researcher and wrote this brilliant thesis and has a brilliant podcast about vaccine history and hesitancy and all of the intersectionality between anti-feminist movement and anti-vaccine. It's incredible. Anywho, pastel Q is referring to people who politically... People who, and I'm not going to say single issue voters, but people who are like, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a guru. I'm a shaman. I am doing this and this. And they believe in all of these QAnon conspiracy theories and they'll latch onto them because it validates the things that they were already profiting off of, but Socially, they will, they don't align with the roots of the QAnon cult movement, which is based in white supremacy and that whole, all of that jazz. The Republican Party, just going to say it, like all of that. It's almost worse than people who are like, I'm socially progressive, but financially conservative. These are people who are very much used to, in the wellness world, being able to do whatever they want, have their woo believe, and really believe that these conspiracies are truth, and that it's their truth, and they'll align with anti-feminists, they'll align with super ultra-conservative people who are evangelical Christians, because those people too say, we don't want to get the vaccine, we're not going to do it, it's sad, we're not going to do it because there are aborted fetuses in the vaccine, we're not going to do it that, but then at the same time we'll go and be very pro-choice, and I'm very much like, against this and against that, that are completely opposing views of the groups that they're aligning with. So it's woo culture. If you really want to get into it, it's it's woo culture. And I think that this is how naive I was to it initially. My assumption was that the people who I would share, I shared spiritual um, values with, I, that I would also share political values with. Just because it seemed to me that I'm keeping in mind the audience, right? So I live in Canada and Canada is down the the continuum toward the left continuum compared to Mm. the States. Mm -hmm. Not so far, but our society is just ever so slightly more socialist than the American society. Just a wee bit more progressive. Just that gap seems to be narrowing in a a direction that I'm not altogether (laughs) excited about but it was and and this is where i i have a sense that a lot of people who are either on the fence or or haven't gone for their first shot yet and are in the the, stage of delay i understand wanting to delay i wanted to delay i they were i didn't i wasn't i don't know why couldn't explain it i wasn't keen on astrazeneca Although when I was offered the opportunity on the fly one day, when I happened to be out of the house at a very rare appointment, I tried to jump at it. So that showed me a lot about when push came to shove, how I felt about AstraZeneca. I was going to, if I could have got one that minute, I would have driven over and got it. And because the best 
a good friend tipped me off that they had some at the pharmacy close to home. But by the time I got out, they were gone. So mm-hmm. there was, that was one. But so I understand the, the delay. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that where the leaders who are either swing around the continuum from this pastel Q point of view or just purely the giant P is for profit point of view is that a lot of this has its roots in QAnon, which has its roots in very racist ideologies, as well as very sexist, misogynist, abusive ideologies. And because most people don't spend their time listening to the Conspirituality podcast or even this podcast, and they're tapped out because they're managing their pandemic chaos life yeah it's true it's true chaos and it's and they're not really paying attention and you trust your friends on facebook more than you trust the news now and if your friend on facebook says this thing or posts this incorrect piece of misinformation you're gonna believe it because you have an emotional connection to that person who posted it and you're more likely to align with it in this scenario because we're so isolated and disconnected from the world around us and listening to podcasts takes time i admit it to you i only got to listen to half of your most recent podcast because my life is chaos You know, would I have liked to listen to the whole thing? Yes, of course. But there are plenty of people like me, plenty of parents in particular, who are just like, we can't, we do not have time to properly and soundly educate ourselves on all these topics because we are trying to like hold everything together. And then there are people who just want to go out and have, have, oh, weird like drug trip with their friends and are just done with this pandemic because it really doesn't affect them enough and they're young they're not going to die so there are people from all demographics who just if they were more informed if they were paying attention to their news feed on social media as much as they were paying attention to public health officials or even experts in the field. I follow a bunch of experts on social media, medical research experts. I'm related to a medical research expert. (laughs) Just all these epidemiologists, Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. So uh, it's already part of my daily conversation. It's not intimidating for me, but for a lot of people, particularly in a lot of areas that are already very isolated communities within churches and with a lot yes. of stay-at-home moms and everything, they are more susceptible to this indoctrination. And the outrage that ensues when any of this is discussed is just overwhelming, which is why there were over 4,000 comments in the comments section of Yoga Journal for a, a teeny little teaser post yeah. to my article. It wasn't article. even the article. It wasn't even the article. They didn't even read the article. It was just a teaser post. If they had read the article, they would have been like, oh, this is her own personal journey toward getting the vaccine. It's based in love for her. Great. Okay, maybe it would have convinced a few of them. Maybe they would have thought differently. Maybe they wouldn't have been so erratic in their response. But because it's like this hard-won emotional 
belief and also this educational gap that they have, they're going to get really defensive. And that's why there's going to be fire. And that's why me just writing the article and putting it out there as the first person to do that in regards to the vaccine within the yoga and wellness community was a very big deal is because people have been skirting around that issue for a very long time. And um, yes, it needed to be said because many of the people within the yoga world, it's a Venn diagram of yoga and QAnon. Wellness, the wellness community, the QAnon conspirituality type of community, conspiracy theory and spirituality. So that's what it is. As I was listening to you, uh, I was thinking about something that I'll just refer to it. So I, that post I referred to earlier that I dropped into my uh, discourse community, and it, it really illuminated for me where I think, and I'm not sure if this was your intention or not, but I think it, it's definitely an effect that, that your article is having and, and as well as showing the way a little bit or a lot for people in terms of like you're bearing up it it appears at least pretty well under the pressure of this but listen to what he had to say he said i'm really looking forward to hearing this interview i don't think i have any specific questions but i'm interested in hearing wolf's take on the response to her article i didn't know how much of an anti-vax presence there was in the yoga community i don't even know what to say anymore on that topic my patience for people who ignore and dismiss science in ways that put other people's health at risk has, shall we say, grown pretty thin. And I can really, I feel it when I'm reading it because there's just such a heaviness to it and we're all affected by it. I also feel that heaviness in there and it resonates deeply with me. Who yeah. asked this question? Oh, his name is Steve. The yeah. I'm Steve. Yeah, yeah. And, and to give Steve, he's a psychotherapist. He's a, a coach. He's a podcaster. He's very much in, in this world or the associative world and yet didn't realize. And I think very much like the self-help industry, the industry is not going to self-regulate. I, I really, mm -hmm. I don't have any expectation of that at all. And I think the, the, I hesitate before saying the real work because there's so much work, but a lot of the work has to do with raising consumer awareness so that the consumer of yoga and the consumer of self-help and the consumer of wellness can still use a holistic approach to your health. Nobody is saying you shouldn't, mm -hmm. but also not leave the world of science and grounded reality and interconnection behind. Yeah. So to Steve's question into what you just said, the feeling about the response to my article and all the comments and people coming out of the really showing themselves, really showing their ass, as Matt Remsky put it, it was expected because I already knew that it existed and I knew that a lot of people did not realize that it existed. I knew that a lot of people who will go and drop into a yoga class every once in a while or really loved reading yoga journal because they love the mindfulness and 
because they really think that yogis are well connected and really aren't harmful people and don't have a harmful culture because that's what is projected. I knew that it would really open up a lot of people's eyes in in this response, like from the first hour of Yoga Journal's teaser post being on Instagram, I knew a lot of people were going to say, wow, I had no idea. Some of my students texted me, emailed me and said, I was not prepared to see all of those comments. I had no idea that this was going, that this too was part of the, the yoga community, the wellness community. And it's one of those things where unless you are really in it and absorbed in it and paying attention to it and seeing all different types of people from all different walks of life daily as your job or just like your everyday interaction, which was my life for a long time. Yeah, you're not going to know it. You're not going to see it. If you're going in because you have one favorite teacher, if you were coming to my class, on only my class, because I was your favorite teacher, you're probably not going to know that because that's not at all aligned with who I am as a person or my values as a yogi. However, if you stay in a community, whether it be a studio culture or whether it be following a specific yoga person or guru around at all the festivals they go to, you will see it. And you will either conform to it or you will walk away from it. And in this instance, I think we're going to see a lot of people walking away from the yoga and wellness community at large. Not only because people are dying, which is terrible to say, but it's truly happening, but also because they've lost patience because there's this futility in it that no matter what, like, these people, those people, air quotes, again, aren't going to get it. Or there's this heavy duty spiritual bypassing that is deeply rooted in white supremacist values and structure. So right now, if I go to your Instagram, you are, which I will put a link in the show notes, obviously, to this, the article, all of it that we've mentioned as usual. But I want to highlight that right now, what you're doing is you're calling forward yoga influencers who have large communities and who have small communities to have a voice on this. And I'm watching with very keen interest. Because I think we, we, earlier in the podcast, you had listed one or two reasons why they don't. And I almost jumped in with number three. And, and number three for me is fear of a shrinking audience, fear of making less money. And I want to call that shit out because that's what it is. I'm getting a standing, she's clapping. That's I would, to me, I would stand that's up. the bottom, the bottom line is the bottom line. And, and so I think that by applying, I think it's brilliant what you're doing by applying pressure on them in a public forum, rather than fighting back at what 
what can't be fought. And that's the whole other thing about the indoctrination process is that people will come out when they're good and ready to come out. There's really not much that people can do to force or speed up that process. I do, there are resources for that. That's a whole other conversation that, that will happen here on the show. But by calling these leaders forward, then it makes all the people who've picked up on your article and all people who've picked up on your Instagram and anyone who listens to this podcast now and others that you do, it makes them more aware to either press the issue as a quote unquote consumer or follower or fan or whatever hideous noun we're going to put to it is that the leaders are not leaders if they're not willing to take a stand and come forward. And I think, mm-hmm. honestly, you know what my, my yardstick is after my experience, if they're not willing to come forward, I'm assuming that they are full cue. That's it. That's my yardstick. I, I don't have a lot of time or patience wow. for anything else. There's enough there's not many, but there are enough good people doing the brave. I know you don't like the word brave, but it is brave work to put yourself at, I, into a situation where people are going to um, have a view yeah. about you. People can have as many views about you as they like. When my brother killed himself, I decided that I truly didn't care. I didn't care about how I looked as long as I was living my life in such a way that as my friend Jen Pastenwalk says, when I die on my deathbed, I will say I have done love. And right now it is very unloving to your followers, to your fans, to your students to shirk away responsibility from an incredibly crucial and life-threatening issue. It is the opposite of ahimsa, of non-harm, of love. It is great harm. And it's the opposite of leadership. It's yeah. It's vacating the post when you're most needed. Yeah. So Wolf, I want to invite you back for a part two. Because there's so much that to cover that's not related to the vaccine (laughs) and the pandemic. And I'm so sorry. I'm I'm so glad you brought your brother into the conversation. And I am, my heart just hurts thinking about that experience. But I'm sure you have a ton of wisdom that comes from that beyond stopping caring what other people think about you. And you see how powerful that is. And uh, I've seen you very publicly say, because others are saying, for anyone who's listening who has a small following, do not think that your following is small. If you have five people who are paying attention to what you say and do. Those and are five following, people. Those are five people. And, and it doesn't matter. It, 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 that doesn't apply just to the vaccine or to the pandemic. That's any time. And I even have to, I have to remind myself of that at times because I get thrown. I don't enjoy social media as much as some might think, but, and I get frustrated because I, you gain, you lose, you gain, you lose. And as this podcast has been making adjustments, the audience adjusts, and I'm so down for that. And plus you never know who and where is paying attention and what that ripple effect may be. 
So showing up and in your own strength and in your own truth is it's sad that it sometimes feels like risky behavior, but look at how your words have resonated far beyond the, the yoga journal. Please don't make me cry. It's very hard for me to cry right now, but I'm about to. <laughs> we're going to talk about that um, in part two (laughs) but in part two but thank you we have to take very good care of each other we just all have to what a pleasure thank you so much i don't even know a, a right way other than to just to end part one except for with big gratitude for responding to my request when it came in like a shot and, and I guess that's a pun intended and uh, oh man, <laughs> it's awful. And, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what comes out of all the meaningful conversations that, that come from this work. I am I, likewise for me. And I just feel very honored and very privileged to be able to chat with you about this. It's been a real gift and I can't wait to come back next time. <laughs>